0: Okay, so guys, welcome back to episode 18 of the Human Jiu-Jitsu podcast, and I'm joined today by the head coach off of a compound martial arts, Ushin air quotes, the bull, McCabe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listen, if that sticks, I'll be giving you credit. I'll, I'll be thanking you for years now. If that actually sticks and people start calling me the bull, I'll be delighted.
0: <laughs> oh man, uh, I'll put that in like uh, the title as well, because uh, some people's <laughs> nicknames I put in the title. <laughs> Oh, God. So, uh, Oshin, do you want to tell everyone where you're from and where you train in case they want to get around with you sometime?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I'm uh, born and bred in Dublin. Um, I have a uh, martial arts academy, compound martial arts in Artane, uh, Dublin 5. Um, so, anytime anyone's out on the north side of Dublin and they want to get a roll in, they're very welcome to come and join us. Hmm.
0: So, you guys, uh, I've, I've had great, huge, tremendous, abundant, Honor of fighting a few of the guys that Ushin uh, has produced, and they're pretty good, so he must be doing something right.
1: Uh, possibly, I thought you battered them all, if memory serves.
0: Uh, no, I fought two of your guys when I was a white belt. Uh, I got beaten by one of your guys. And then when I was a blue belt, I beat one of your guys. So uh, one for one.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good record. Good record. Don't worry, we'll have a decider <laughs> soon.
0: Uh, when I well, when I come up to your gym and you all just mob boss me, and then yeah. it's like fifty-three <laughs> to one. <laughs>
1: Exactly, full on grace of <laughs> challenge.
0: I'm like, oh feck I should have, I should have gone somewhere else today. after the other Okay, uh, do you want to tell everyone how you got into martial arts and if you trained anything before you started jiu-jitsu?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I got into martial arts. Uh, I was uh, four, five, or six, something like that. But um, I got in in kenpo karate. Uh, me and a bunch of sc- of uh, friends of mine from school, uh, primary school. My parents brought us down. So I was the only one that actually stuck that out um, from the group. uh, got to a black belt level in that uh, when I was, a, I think, 18 or 19. Um, and then um, after that, I went off to college. Uh, I was doing a bit of kickboxing as well uh, in my late teens. Um, i was been shown a little bit of boxing here and there, but uh, kickboxing was a bit more official. And uh, then I went to college, all that disappeared, uh, and there was nothing in our college, so I ended up starting a karate club, but at the time I'd been introduced to um, basically UFC Ultimate Knockouts 2 or 3, I think it was, and uh, that started getting me into the MMA side of things, so we started trying some grappling techniques in each other uh, in the club, did a bit of boxing out there as well, and then when I came back to Dublin, it was a study in DCU, uh, I have a degree in sports science. And, um, what we did was when we got to DCU, we opened the club and in that club, it became, it was a kickboxing club originally, but there was also a air quotes, martial arts club. Um, and I went down to that martial arts club, uh, to check it out. I was a couple of weeks late. Um, I didn't know it existed for the first couple of weeks and it was, uh, professor Andy Ryan, um, who would go on to be my coach from white belt to black belt. Um, he was teaching the class along with one of his students, Mick O'Hagan. Um, I, I I mean, I walked into the door of that class as a black belt in karate, um, and I got submitted with an Americana uh, by a girl who had been training for three weeks. I just had no idea what was going on. I didn't recognize what she was doing when she was grabbing my arm. I just kind of let it happen and then tapped. Um, and once that happened, uh, I kind of couldn't believe how vulnerable I was, uh, and I decided that I was going to throw myself wholeheartedly into the grappling side of things as well so formed a mixed martial arts club in dcu originally it was called the kickboxing and grappling club because they wouldn't let us call it the mma club because it was a a dirty word at the time and uh, yeah here we are ever since so that's progressed into dcu mixed martial arts and then that progressed into compound martial arts and i've been a member of team rhino the whole way through as well Mm. see man that
0: just that just astounds me, just like uh MMA was like a dirty word. Like it's not like you were saying it was NHB or some shit, like something crazy yeah, like, like that. It,
1: back then people were still even like in the scene, we're still calling it cage fighting, you know. Um and that was I remember specifically people trying to move away from that. Uh coaches and stuff stopped referring to it as cage fighting and it became you know, it's mixed martial arts. And um, like that term was only around in kind of the in the in the 90s is when that sort of evolved. It was NHB um, or um, UFC, basically. That was what it was called. And then it became MMA. So at the time, we were trying to set up a club. Uh, it had a bad reputation. Um, so thankfully, that has changed in many ways uh, since then. But we've seen a lot of growth.
0: Mm. See, that actually reminds me of something. See, uh, my cousin does Muay Thai up in Dublin. In, uh, and see, uh, he did... <laughs> He, he made the mistake of telling our grandparents that he done that he does Muay Thai, and see, they, they didn't know what it was, so they just assumed it was like blood sports, NHB stuff. So they like, huh. oh my god, you're fucking going to kill yourself, I'm oh, doing NHB, oh my god. <laughs> That's
1: a terrible impression. What level of Muay, think, Muay Thai he's doing? Those lads are slanging elbows and knees all over the place, so. Uh, uh, I can't, can't off.
0: remember off the top of my head. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I know a little about Muay Thai, but next to nothing pretty much yeah, then, uh, yeah see, um, what was the early days of your training like and was there anything in particular that you struggled with like just a move or a concept or something
1: yeah, when I started training in jujitsu, one thing I did, uh, I trained for uh, several months just in DCU uh, with Mick O'Hagan, uh, who was one of Andy's blue belts. And then he convinced me and helped me by giving me lifts and all kinds of stuff. Um, he convinced me to go up and train in, in Team Rhino. It was actually called SBG Northside at the time, um, which a lot of people nowadays wouldn't know. But um, I think it had a name before that as well. But uh, it was SBG Northside at the time when we went up. Um and I remember I actually kept an online journal uh, of each and every training session. I called it the JITS journal uh, at the time.
0: Oh, and, uh, that's good.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I was, I was, I was quite proud of it. But uh, it was on a small website. I actually can't even remember what the name of the website was. It was basically an Irish um, sort of strength and conditioning forum, but I had a little combat sports section. So I kept the journal and every single session that I would do, I'd um, write down everything I tapped people with and um, everything I got tapped by and then every successful sweep or pass that uh, I pulled off or, or was done against me so it was interesting to look and see the evolution of that I did that for about a year and a half and you could see the like certain moves that I would have been would have been go tos a year and a half before I stopped doing them completely and then got obsessed with something else so because everything was so new back at the start it wasn't like you had a complete game you just find a new move like a new toy and you just play with it non-stop I remember the first one for me was the anaconda choke um,
0: ooh, ooh, I love a, that fucking choke so much
1: Oh yeah, it's awesome dude. Once, From the front headlock, once I pulled it off the first time Because nobody knew to keep their elbows in tight For the front headlock The Darce choke <laughs> didn't exist uh, in Ireland at that time Literally, didn't exist in Ireland You couldn't ask anyone what a Darce choke was then They wouldn't have been able to tell you um, So like, it was just easier To get these types of techniques on people Now you go for an anaconda choke you got to go all half a Mendez And use your leg to hold their elbow in And use Ugh, all, this, all this bloody technique to try and get things especially
0: if you're me who's like
1: notorious for his
0: anaconda at the gym uh, it, it's gotten to a point like i do it so fucking much they call it the Andrew <laughs> Well
1: that's a good nickname you should definitely yeah. run it
0: with- i have to <laughs> so yeah you know when you do it like um, with the front headlock do you like lock up the anaconda straight away and then do the roll like or do you do like a gable and like bump their elbow which i like to do for i find the rolls better when you do that
1: yeah, I'm a dark guy. So when I go for the Anaconda, it's purely for style points. Um, you know, <laughs> you'll pause in the front headlock, give your trainer partner that look to get the camera out, and then uh, <laughs> you go for it. But no, for me, I like to go for the Gator Roll. Um, it's the first way I learned it. Uh, and also, ever since seeing uh, Renato Babalu Sobral in the UFC try to commit murder, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that Anaconda choke. Um, did it against David Heath. They were talking a lot of smack in the lead-up to that fight. And uh, Babalu finally covered in blood, finally got him in an anaconda choke, gator rolled, uh, put him out unconscious, and then refused to let go, which I don't endorse, obviously. Um, But it was was a badass moment, Um, Mm. it has to be said. And uh, I just love that. I love that finish for it. Uh, It's my favorite way to finish it. I think the Mendez version where they kind of use the gable grip and they use the elbow to hold the arm in, and then they replace it with their leg, it's more effective. And I think it works against guys who are more savvy to it. Um, but it definitely doesn't look as slick, uh, in my opinion. Mm.
0: See, uh, one thing you've seen uh, rec- that you see on the rise recently, especially with the Rotulo twins, is like um, the use of like a diving dars yeah. from, like, a, le- from like, a leg stomp pass scenario. So, yeah, I, I, I like the leg stomp pass, but I, I don't really like the diving dars because I feel like you could just elbow someone in the fucking face. I yeah. don't
1: but I think I think they miss a lot of them though as well. In fairness, like I've watched a good bit of them compete, and you'll see them catch it. But at the same time, I think it's something that it's a threat to maybe give up the guard pass a little easier. Um, like they do miss it a lot and lose position. But it, it, if they're playing against a guard player, all it means is just a reset back to guard passing. Um, mm. So you kind of understand where they go for. It. I'm a big fan of any Darces off the vice grip. The vice grip is my uh, is my spot has been for years. That was probably the first. The big evolution in my game when I was um, probably a white belt coming into blue belt, um, apart from straight ankle locks, which is, was my go-to forever, but my big evolution in the upper body was the darts choke, but the vice grip, if I could get to the vice grip, I was like 90% sure. Still to this day, I'm 90% sure if I get to the vice grip, I'm going to be able to bump the person over and, and finish the darts choke or reverse um, uh, reverse arm triangle or something like that. So big, big fan of that.
0: Mm
1: man are you sure you're
0: not just me from the future we both did a lot of leg locks at white belts we're both with bgg revolution we both like the anaconda are you sure you're not just uh, future me or something we
1: well, never know man you never know i mean you you could be the the evolved version of myself uh, a couple of years from now uh,
0: well am i am i like a reincarnation of you but you're not even dead yet so how the fuck would that work
1: yeah, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to tell me about that. I don't know too much, I know too much about that. Um, I, no. uh, so I'll tell you, I wouldn't mind a bit of reincarnation. It's one of those things, like when I started jiu-jitsu in 2006, I think it was, when I started jiu-jitsu, it was a, to- a completely different thing to what it is now. I would love to start jiu-jitsu today. So, like, people ask me, like, oh, would you go back and do it all over again? Oh, 100% I would, um, over and over again. It's so advanced now. That if I could go back and learn as a white belt, twenty, twenty-one years old today, I there's nothing I would want more than that in terms of in terms of sport. Um, it's such an unbelievable opportunity that guys have because we just didn't know. Like the guys who knew what they were doing would tell you now that they didn't know what they were doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, like guys who are now kind of black belts, like first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth like. They'll look back to those days and go, whoa, man, we just didn't know jujitsu." <laughs> and then over the last number of years, it's just got so much more developed. Um, it's it's amazing, amazing to watch. Incredible mm-hmm. art sport.
0: Uh, man, you know, it's just a constantly evol- evolving thing. I was going to say evolutionizing. I was like, man, that doesn't even make any sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it is it is constantly evolving. But I think it's that the basics are understood so much better now. Yeah. Um, like I, I, remember asking someone years ago, um, like how to pass guard. It was like how to pass seated guard, right? It's like oh, this guy's sitting down. Every time I grapple with him like how do I approach his guard? I know how to pass closed guard, but I'm not in closed guard, right? And the answer that I got was basically, ah, just grab a leg and throw it and see what happens. Right. Whereas now <laughs> it's going to ask me that question. I'm going to talk about getting the inside position with one foot so I can look to, you know, sit in the shin side, smash in one direction, maybe shin trap. Like I'll have a million different answers and possibilities and they're all going to be strong. Um, depending on what your style is, that just, those conversations weren't happening in 2006. Um, so it's just incredible how much the art has evolved, um, since then uh, in every team, uh it's crazy to watch
0: see hmm. uh what's your sort of advice for new people like uh just say you have uh, just the beginner's pool what's like the first technique or lesson you try to instill on in, like a day one person
1: uh it depends we have a in our club we have kind of a revolving beginner's course the idea being that if someone finishes our beginner's course they could just start the next one and it'll be all different techniques but it'll be all from the same sort of positions right so the first thing i like to tell beginners is um learn a guard. so i like closed guard i know lots of people have different opinions on this some people think you should try and teach open guard first um but i like beginners to have a guard that they can go to that they have a rough idea of what's going on because there's less variables involved um you know you, obviously if you go closed guards generally speaking you're only having to deal with the upper body when the person's on their knees so that's what i like to do i like to get them to a close guard teach them one or two submissions and sweeps and then move on to the next position uh, might be mount top same thing teach one or two submissions maybe a back transition and just build it up from there we have pathways in our club um that are named after different uh, competitors so like we have the hickson pathway or we have the maya pathway or the Marcelo pathway and all it is is basically a sequence of moves but they're all the moves that they would use in competition that we can point to video footage of um, but i think teaching someone something like that where they have a clear like this is the start point guard passing then when you pass the guard you get to a pin and then from the pin you're looking to get to so whatever the pin might be from there you're looking to get to the mount or take the back and you're looking to submit and i think if you teach someone that in the first couple of weeks it makes so much more sense um, to somebody who's just starting instead of just teaching them random techniques from different parts of the game if, if that makes sense to you
0: no that, that's pretty pretty sound reasoning in my opinion so they don't like draw blank. They'll have, they'll have, they'll have like, a general like to do yeah. list to do any troll. Of
1: just exactly. like,
0: uh, I should go to close guard, yeah. Like
1: even, okay, even my what purple do do guard? Yeah, even my purple belts. Like they'll say, oh, like well, what should I work on at the moment? And I'll go. I'll just I'll point to a pathway that I think suits them, and I will go just do that. But do that on everybody in the gym, and then tell them you're gonna do it to them. Tell them I'm I'm gonna pass your guard with a single underpass, when I do that, I'm going to mount you in this way. Then I'm going to then tell them that's that's what's going to happen. And if you can do it against the best training partners you have, even when they know it's coming, that's going to be much easier to do against someone who has no idea it's coming. If that makes sense.
0: Uh, no man, that's pretty, it's pretty. Yeah, sorry, sorry, it's all tongue tied. Pretty sound advice, my man. See, just one thing uh, I'm curious about each person I get on is, uh, what was your first competition like, and uh, just how did it go for you in general?
1: Uh, can we skip that quick? <laughs> no. Um, my first competition was a funny one. It was good and bad. Uh, I did the Dublin Open, um, which was in Team Rhino. It was in Kilbaric at the time. Um, Andy was hosting it. I did the Dublin Open in 2008, uh, and I it was the first time I'd ever cut weight in my life. Um, I, I it was in pounds. I think was the weighings or it was the the weight classes. So I cut weight to make a weight class. It was in the Ghee as well. And the, I actually got the weight class wrong. It turns out it was actually two kilos heavier, the weight class. So I didn't need to cut weight um, <laughs> I cut weight by not eating and basically sweating. So when I got there, I weighed in two and a half kilos under what I needed to. And I went out, uh, I'd say I weighed in at, let's say, 11 o'clock and 1105. And um, my name was called. And that was kind of before the days of like sort of the streamlined smooth comp there was no smooth comp or anything that none of the internet stuff was used so you could be there for 20 minutes an hour two hours and it just so happened my name was called after five minutes so i remember going out and uh, doing the first match Uh, i was 30 45 seconds in i'd say and i just felt my whole body could just go like the energy levels just plummeted and uh, i felt so weak so I ended up losing that match um, by decision. And I, went, I, I said to my training partner, I was like, I, I'm not going to be able to go out for the second match. I'm too tired. And then my name was called again. And I was, I was always going to go out like I was only given out. And uh, he says to me, he's like, oh, what are you going to do? And I said, flying armbar. And he goes, why? I said, because either I would get the flying armbar or I, <laughs> I lose the match. Uh, so anyway, I lost the match. Needless to say, the flying armbar didn't go well. And uh, I came back um, at the time you didn't need to meddle in these competitions to do the absolute. So I came back to do the absolute about an hour and a half, two hours later. Uh, and I ended up beating one of those guys from my division uh, in the first round beating another guy in the second round and then came up against a lad who was six foot. I have the photo knocking around somewhere. Uh, he was six foot six or six foot seven and um, probably about 120, 130 kilos, super nice fella. And I uh, I had a glorious victory by passing from his close guard into his half guard. So not passing. And I was given an advantage for that for some reason. And uh, that was the ending of the the match. So I had that gold medal sitting at home. Uh, absolute Dublin Open. Absolute champion. Just like the highlight. <laughs> absolute champion. Uh, yeah. One advantage. <laughs> so that's sitting somewhere on the mantelpiece at home from 2008. That was my first competition. Good and bad. Got smashed in my, in my weight class, but won the absolute
0: nah man that's a fucking that was a great story that's like a uh, goliathian proportion there
1: just like you, dude you fly, have to see number. the photo it the <laughs> like the story does not do it justice you need to see the photo of this guy He's a giant. <laughs> <laughs> i'll send it to you after <laughs> uh
0: please do And uh, uh do you have a preferred rule set for competitions like uh is there anyone in any uh, sort of organization that stands out to you
1: for me personally in my own competition um i love submission only um, I just I absolutely love submission only. It's one because I'm good at it. Um, like my submission only record is probably something like forty something wins and like single digit losses. I, like that is where I've always been super comfortable. In points, it's much easier just to smush me and uh, <laughs> wait for the timer to to run out. Um, but for my own students, I actually like points because I think the essence of uh, jujitsu, I think, is really on positional dominance, and that I think is what sh- people should focus on. Uh, unless they're specifically competing in something like uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational or something like that. But um, yeah, for my students, I actually like the point system. I I like it myself now uh, more in recent years. Um, I refocused on my own competing a little bit in the last couple of years as best I could and uh, won a few points tournaments and stuff. And I actually do enjoy um, that style because there's so much tension. Uh, You'll notice from competing yourself. Like there's these moments where you know and I know that the next move is probably the match you know like if i get that pass i'm almost there if i get that three points uh, you're going to have a real hard time getting the back and i like those moments of tension um, and i've always found if i walk off the mats after a points match like my forearms are blown out completely like i'm you know you're sweating you're so fatigued versus i've done submission only matches and hardly broken a sweat and it could be a 10 15 minute uh, long match because you're more relaxed you know that if your guard gets passed it doesn't matter But it does matter if that makes sense. That's what that's what I suppose the point I'm making. I think for students, I prefer the point system. It makes them not lazy with their positions. But for myself and what I enjoy competing in, I love uh, submission only. It's my jam.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, like I see your point, man, because, you know, especially about being more chill and sub only sort of uh, scenarios. That's the word I was thinking. man. I I fucking uh, what's this? I can't even fucking think of words. That's what I'm trying to fucking say. I can't think of words sometimes. But like, uh, I see what you mean. Because, you know, if, if you say you do get passed and you're in side control, bombsite, you're like, oh, no, I'm down on imaginary points.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you, you should be able to just chill out. It works both ways. But A big part of it was because for me coming up, um, it's funny, like, as Blue Belt, especially Blue Belt, Blue Belt, um, Purple Belt, And then I banned myself from doing them in brown belt. But I was a straight ankle lock guy um, for the longest time. Uh, Like when I was a blue belt in jujitsu, I was a black belt in straight ankle locks. And um, in the point system, if you go for a straight ankle lock and you fall back onto it and you could be just ripping that foot apart. But if the other guy rocks up to a knee, that's two points for him. Even though he made no effort to sweep whatsoever, it's just the rule set. It's he goes from top to bottom and there was a guard involved. to had his legs in. So he gets two points. A lot of people don't realize that, especially in their early years of jujitsu. jitsu So because I didn't get punished like that for doing the points, or sorry, the submission only, that's why I like submission only so much. It's because I could just drop on legs uh, all day, every day, uh, which is exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's see. Uh, I, th-
0: this is the why I'm believing the theory of that I'm just you in like a different fucking stage or something. Because like. Uh, Are you a straight ankle lock win- man? Yeah, I am. Oh, every yes. Single, every single submission win I have under my belt is by straight ankle lock. Every <laughs> single
1: one. I'm not far <laughs> off myself. Uh, I did back in the day. I remember in the blue belt um, divisions, uh, there was a couple of competitions I'd have which were five or six matches. And it'd be five or six finishes by straight ankle lock. Um, (laughs) that's, that's how reliant I was on it. But what was funny about it was, um, and I tell my students this all the time, I couldn't pass the guard until I was probably midway through, no, just purple belt, I'd say. So the very end of the blue belt years, I was a blue belt for seven years. Um, so the very end of the blue belt years was when I learned to pass the guard. Uh, because I was so reliant on dropping back on the straight ankle lock and it worked for me like I, I had a I mean I've straight ankle locked guys in the Europeans and the IBJJF um all the way down to like in-house tournaments so it's worked for me but it massively limited the rest of my game so I basically started doing jujitsu about 4 years ago when even though I've been training for 12 13 years I started the rest of jujitsu about 4 years ago <laughs>
0: Oh, man. But leg locks are so good, so I can't really blame you. <laughs> uh, well, that that answers the next question of what your favorite submission is, unless it's something that completely out of left field. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I see, I actually banned myself from doing straight ankle locks um, a couple of years ago just because of what I was saying. I felt it was limiting the rest of my game, so I stopped doing them. Um, so now my favorite submission is probably... I'd say probably actually it's the Americana. Um, I have a few funky ones now that I've done in competition that I'm a big fan of. Like I I have a go-go platter in competition. Um, So I'm always going for the go-go platter, even though I'm way less flexible than I was when I was 22 (laughs) when I got that. So (laughs) I'm constantly on this quest to try and get another go-go platter and failing every single time. Um, It it was a one-shot wonder for me. Um, But I, I always try and go for that when I'm rolling just for the fun of it um the carney uh from the 10 planet system um i like that as well it's where you more or you uh, omoplata someone but they've stepped over your far leg so you basically lock them um behind the knee with one foot while your other leg is busy doing the omoplata that's a fun one but my favorite one at the moment is um the straight arm bar from mount so basic arm bar from mount um i'm a big fan of and the americana from side control and the reason i like the americana from side control is because john danaher said it doesn't work and uh so i've made it made it my mission in life to just americana as many people as possible uh just to <laughs>
0: <laughs> just to prove john denner wrong like fuck yeah him. <laughs> <that's>,
1: absolutely absolutely <laughs> um but I, I, have, I have a system for the americana from uh from side control that i am been doing for years i do it it's actually not really from side control it's from a mounted crucifix um so it actually works for me um all the way up to black belt level so you know i'll tap um black belts in training which is no big deal, but I'll, I'll do it with the Americana from the Mounted uh, Crucifix. So I don't really agree that the Americana doesn't work. I think it's the setup that, uh, that most people miss. If it's not set up, then it's easy to escape. You can go under, you can go over, you can turn away, you can do all kinds of different things.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really good one, in my opinion, that it's very, uh, the, the fucking Americana from Kizakatami.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, I, we, I call that the Judo Americana.
0: Oh, that is brutal. That's-
1: that is if you hate the person. If you if you absolutely despise that person, you want to break their arm. Um, then a hundred percent, that's the move for you. It's really effective, but it's a it is a bit of a strength move just to be able to get the arm into position. Um, but once it's there, it's it's over. It's game over. I've seen some pretty nasty breaks with that.
0: Hmm. See, I made the mistake of doing that move to a judo black belt at our club, and he, he was like, "Put me and kids like." <laughs> Good one. He fucking yeah. escaped it and took my back. Just slid oh, yeah. out from Kesekatami and took my back and then well, he started that's, that's strangling me. Keziketami,
1: you don't see it much in. Um, I know different people have different opinions on this. Like I've heard guys who are who are judo guys or who have transitioned, and their thing is, well, you're just not doing it right. But then they don't do it themselves in competition, or when they do, they get their back taken. So um, Kesekatami scarf hold is not really popular in jiu-jitsu because the back take is right there. If you make a balls of it. But modified scarf hold, um, Kazurka's katami, where you have the underhook instead of having the head, that's uh, much more popular. Uh, but the problem with that is, I think it can be a little bit harder then to attack the inside arm. So, like you were saying, the judo americana, it can be a little bit trickier to get your hands on that if you're that if you're a little bit lower down the body. But I love that position. Huge fan of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, man, That's pretty pretty handy. See, uh, what's it? Fucking can't even remember my own writing. Uh, <laughs> what was uh, the first <laughs> seminar you attended and do you remember what was taught at it?
1: Uh, I do, um, I've done a lot of seminars. Um, I'm lucky in that the first seminar I attended wasn't a seminar, I, I count this as a seminar, but um, you know who Clark Gracie is? Yeah. So the second name gives it away, but um, yeah, so Clark Gracie, black belt now, Um, he was a brown belt at the time. And uh, he came over to teach a seminar in Team Rhino. And I actually didn't get to go to the seminar. I either couldn't convince my parents to give me the money (laughs) I was that young. um, (laughs) Or um, I don't know what, maybe it was a way or something. I can't remember that. But I got a phone call from uh, Mick O'Hagan, who I mentioned earlier, that uh, really is one of the main reasons I was able to get into Jiu-Jitsu as much as I did. But uh, he just said, oh, I'm looking to train. I want to go and roll up in Team Rhino. And I was like, oh, it sounds great. And I just thought it was going to be me and him. And I got there and it was me, Mick and Clark Gracie and the, I was a white belt at the time. So we, oh, rolled, uh, we rolled for an hour and a half, uh, the three of us, just nonstop. So I got about 45 minutes in uh, with Clark Gracie just rolling. And I understand that's not a seminar, but it was an unbelievable lesson because I'd never felt pressure like that. I'd never felt squeezed like that. Like I was defending, I was defending techniques. I remember he we went for a head and arm choke, I think it was or the yeah, idea was a head and arm choke and I stuck my hand inside the head and arm choke and laughed and went ha ha you know as in I've just defended this and he smiled and just crushed me uh, like a constrictor and made me tap with my <laughs> arm inside the choke <laughs> um you know it was, it was funny but uh, I always say my claim to fame is that I managed to reverse Clark Gracie and uh, now uh, I should give the full story on this I used the Baz Rutten reversal from side control that I've never, ever seen taught anywhere else. Um, and it worked perfectly until I landed directly in a head and arm choke from the bottom with him. And he almost popped my head off. So it was a reversal. I wouldn't have got points for it, um, but he knows it happened. I know it happened. And uh, <laughs> 0.02 of a second after it happened, uh, he tapped me with a head and arm choke, but still at a white belt level, you got to take these wins where you can, you know, that's uh, one of my crowning achievements in jujitsu
0: yeah man you know you, you gotta take uh take what you can get
1: <laughs> yeah I look man it doesn't matter if you when you're up against someone that level it doesn't matter if they're injured it doesn't matter if it's flow rolling it doesn't matter if they're just demonstrating a technique and tap it like you take these wins whenever you can get them that's the main thing
0: <laughs> oh man uh i know i definitely know the answer to this one and uh that's it what's the most recent seminar you attended
1: the most recent one um yeah well that was uh you were there yourself that was lucas letch um, <laughs> at Royal Grappling Academy uh, That was a great where,
0: fucking seminar that day
1: Great seminar, he was trying not to answer my questions and I just wasn't having it
0: <laughs> yeah, guys, I don't know if nice you saw discussion. that I asked
1: the question he didn't give me the right answer he be, he basically answered a bit that wasn't related to the question and went to move on I was like no 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 no, come back here you know, paid good money for this, answered the question <laughs> so he actually he did get there in the end uh, it was good no, and I got, I got a chance to roll with him actually that day, did you roll with Lucas yourself?
0: Uh no, I ah, rolled the Roger, Dar- Roger Dardis and he need me in the eye. <laughs>
1: uh yeah, well, that's Roger's go-to move. Um, <laughs> the Lucas is uh anytime chance to get a oh, sorry anytime you get a chance to roll with any of these guys, just a piece of advice to you or anyone that's listening, do it. Roll with them, you know. Like I I was at um the Rodrigo Noguera seminar on Team Rhino years ago, and it was him and it was a uh, Jay Z. Not Jay-Z. I think it was Jay-Z. Um, <laughs> Jay-Z? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That one. Did he bring Beyonce but, uh, with him? Uh, he did not. No, he did not, unfortunately. Aww. So it could be a different Jay-Z. But um, it was Minotaro, and this is Minotaro when he would have been just coming into the UFC. I think it was before the Frank Mir, um, the legendary Frank Mir Kimura uh, break where he broke his, uh, his humorous. Um, but obviously a legend, pride, um, heavyweight champion, had all the battles with Fedor, absolute legend. And he came down and he was rolling in the class. And I remember I was so polite that I was letting people go in front of me constantly. I really wanted to roll with them, but I, you know, it's just like, oh no, you're at senior grade. You go ahead in front of me and stuff like that. And I got the role with, um, Calvin Kante and, um, he made short work of me, but then he popped for steroids, um, a couple of weeks later. So that explains why he beat me. Um, and then with Minotauro, uh, I didn't get a chance to roll with them, And I was so, uh, to this day, I'm so disappointed. I didn't just go, no, no, my turn. Let me in there. Because you don't get a chance every day to roll with absolute legends like that. So, uh, any chance you do, take it.
0: Mm, I see. I've gotten a great opportunity to roll with some good people. Like, uh, uh Vitor Oliveira came over for a segment, for like a camp at our place. And mm. he was using me to do the fucking moves he was like strangulating me explaining how you strangulate someone while I was just choking to death there. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Felipe Andrew and, uh, Fion Davies, you know, gotten some great roles in with some awesome people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, have you ever integrated something from a seminar into your game? Just so well, it's become a mainstay.
1: Yeah. All the time. Um, I'm always changing my game. So for, like, I have, a. Uh for a long time viewed myself more as a coach than as a competitor um i had some back problems when i was 23 some pretty major ones that took me off the mats um in terms of where i couldn't roll for three four years i think three years i think it was uh, so i made a switch to being purely focused on coaching so it means that i'm always trying to tr- like to try different things i'll constantly change my own game to experiment and see if something will work because if I have a guy come to me, one of my students, and he goes, listen, I, I want to talk about inverting and going into a bolo, or inverting to a K-Guard and looking to transition off to a backside 50-50, I want to be able to answer that in the same way if one of my students goes, I want to talk about an arm bar from Closed Guard, I can give him something uh, as well. So uh, I'm always taking stuff from seminars. That's why I go to so many. I take something straight away, try and apply it and um, play around with it myself. And usually what I do is I assign it to some of my students. So... If I have a student that I think would be very suited to a certain style or a certain technique, I'll literally say to them, "Listen, this is your project for the next six months. Take this. I want to see you coming back with under, like double underpassing or over underpassing, or you know, maybe working on something something mad or crazy from the guard. Or your job is to go with leg locks. So that's what I do. I just I just try to learn everything and then assign it to uh, people I think it will suit. See, mm. one of
0: the questions I hold exclusively for the coaches who come on the podcast do you have any certain requirements for someone to meet for you to give them like a blue belt for example
1: yeah i i have requirements for everything so i have a um, um what do you call it a syllabus uh, that i wrote up a couple of years ago for originally it was a syllabus from white to blue because uh, I, when i first wrote it i was a purple belt so <laughs> i wasn't going to write further than that so i wrote white to blue now there's uh, blue to purple um there isn't a purple to brown uh i don't think i ever will have a purple to brown and um, that's a conversation i'll have with the with the student themselves i'll tell them exactly what i, I expect from them in terms of competition or you know training or what i want to see from them when they're rolling because at that point that's to me that's what it's all about um it's about performance so i i have two different syllabuses um they're both pretty basic and um, i've said before like if somebody mastered the white to blue belt syllabus i think they would immediately be the best blue belt in the country and there's no uh, there's no lapel guard in there there's no de la Um, there's no anything Uh, it's really just the basics uh, but kind of rock solid if that makes sense Uh, i think it's really well balanced but that's uh, that's my opinion and maybe it's not but um yeah if someone can fulfill that Then, what I do is I award from white to blue, I award stripes based on how well they've mastered the syllabus. So, it's four stripes for the syllabus. Um, So, if you know 25% of it um, well, then you get one stripe. Uh, And then, when they go from blue to purple, uh, they're awarded two stripes for the syllabus. And then the other two are based on um, time served and being a great teammate, basically. So, being there for the rest of their team. Uh, supporting mm-hmm. each other, etc. And then the other stripe is reserved purely for competition, because uh, I think there's two different tracks uh, for people in jiu-jitsu I think you have people that do it as a hobby, uh, and it's just, they train it once or twice a week, and I don't think they can be held to the same standard as somebody who is focused on competition and is training, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times a week. So I view that uh, differently, and that's where that uh, that stripe comes in as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, that's a good distinction to make because you know you can't hold a, a practitioner like a hobbyist uh, competitor uh, fucking standard because you know that's just that's not good for anyone involved.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's diff-
0: It's just different standards in general.
1: Yeah, but I think that there's a lot of um, confusion in many clubs uh, in terms of the communication between coaches and students in that regard, and that's some some people like it like that. Like, uh, I know when I went from. Uh, Blue belt to purple belts. I ended up getting four stripes in my blue belt spread over a couple of years I actually got two from John Kavanagh. I randomly walked into a uh, into a grading thinking it was a class and uh, It was in SBG City Center and uh, he gave me two stripes on a blue belt but then uh, after that I was given two more stripes by uh, my uh, my coach um, Andy Ryan and uh, essentially if he gives you two stripes in that situation it's because he doesn't want to give you a purple belt at the time uh, which was absolutely fine um, and his choice and his his assessment uh, but then afterwards I didn't get any stripes from purple to brown and I didn't get any stripes from brown to black and hopefully I'll get some stripes on the black uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah so I think every, everyone has their own approach to it and none of them are right or none of them are wrong for me I like to have a lot of communication with my students and um, so Uh, I tell my guys exactly what they need to do to get each stripe up until purple belt Um, and then the actual belt itself. So I I would say there's five. It's really five stripes, right? So there's four stripes and the fifth stripe is the actual belt, if that makes sense. So um, what I do is I tell them that you need to do this and that to get up to three or four stripes. If you have less than three stripes, I'm not even looking at you for a uh, uh, for a grading. So if somebody has less than three stripes, there's not even a conversation to be had. If there are two-striped blue belts, they're not going to be a purple belt in the next grading, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. have them a, a blue belt but um or a purple belt. But, yeah, uh, if they're three stripes or four stripes, I'm really looking at them very, very closely um, for their next grade. And there's a very simple thing that they need to do. And if they want to know what that is, all they have to do is ask me. It might be I need you to compete three times or four times. It might be I need you to win this competition or get on the podium in this competition. Um, it might be I just need you to keep training consistently for the next you know, year or year and a half. It all depends on if they're if they're a competitor, if they're training five times a week, if they're training once or twice a week. Everyone's journey is different, um, which is what makes jiu-jitsu so awesome. It works for everybody.
0: Mm. So, guys, we got a few questions off the Instagram. And I got to say, I think this is the most fucking questions we've ever gotten for any guest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, pe- people want to know what the bull has to say
1: <laughs> <laughs> but just make sure of the, any, any of the ones that uh, are a bit dodged just make sure you give me the names of them afterwards right just wrap them out to me
0: <laughs> oh don't worry I'm going to tell you the names of everyone who gives me the questions <laughs> nice because that's what that's uh, you know that's what I do uh, Michael O'Mahony asks will the Irish Submission Grappling League make a return
1: um, possibly so uh, for those who don't know um, I ran what was first um, the DCU but it was actually, it was an inter-varsity. Um, so we had an inter for grappling uh, when I was running DCU Mixed Martial Arts when I was still in college. And um, that evolved. Uh, we needed more competitors, so we opened it up uh, and then had a point system within it for colleges based on results, etc. And then it just became a fully open competition. It was the DCU Submission League. And then my idea was, because at the time, it was the Irish Open, the Northern Irish Open, um, I think the Cork Open, or Munster Open, I think they changed it to the is a cork open now is that what it's called yeah uh, i think so yeah so there was those three kind of bigger competitions that were uh not expensive uh, i wouldn't say that um but they were more expensive uh, than what we were talking about and i think like talking to some of my own training partners the price could put them off like the idea of traveling to cork probably staying over for a night and you know um or the gas money down or whatever. And a lot of guys who are doing jiu-jitsu, especially college students and competitors, because, you know, there's competitors who are masters, who have jobs, who have all that kind of stuff. And then there's guys who are 20, 19, you know, in that age bracket where they maybe have a job, maybe don't. And it can be a little bit of an ask for them to come up with uh, money to compete. Um, you know, at the time, it seems like big money to them, I suppose. But uh, because of that, I said, why not we do something cheaper? Um, and then you know less overheads and all that kind of stuff so we can keep the price down and uh, go from there and it just exploded uh, the dc submission league i think we had a 1.600 and something competitors in it uh, i think unofficially at one point we had the most competitors of any tournament in the in the country now that might be wrong but uh, i think someone said that to me um and then from there i tried to evolve it into the irish submission grappling league the idea being it'd be four events a year um and the reason I was doing that was actually because I felt like there wasn't enough competitions. I think for competitors all over this country, if you want to be winning on the bigger stages and you want to evolve the sport, you need to be competing consistently. Um, that's the idea behind it. But uh, I had a very stressful year running those four events. Uh, I think people often don't realize that when you're running something for such a small entrance fee, you are it's a labor of love. <laughs> so... Uh, it was quite a stressful thing to do, um, and I decided after I'd done that four, four events in one year, I was supposed to do January the following year, and DCU fell through on me. They actually double booked us um, with another event, um, and they only told us a couple of weeks beforehand, so that ruined our first event. I just decided, you know what? If I can't do four events, I'm doing none of it, no events, and I'm taking a bit of a holiday from this. Because at the same time, Gamma was coming up, and um, it was the Midlands Open, I think, at the time. So that was starting to appear, and um, there was a few other competitions. I think, um, what do you call them? Grappling Industries had just reached our our shores as well. So I just didn't see the need for it. Um, I like I it was deadly and anyone that was at them will tell you it was great. The feedback I always got was brilliant, but the main reason I did it was purely uh, so that there would be an avenue for competition that wasn't too expensive um, for competitors. And I don't think that's required to the same extent anymore. So I'm happy to take a back step and let someone else come in and, and do their thing.
0: Hmm. Oh man, that makes perfect sense. See, uh, Patrick JSB asks, since jujitsu in Ireland is a pretty new thing, how do you see it changing in the next five or
1: ten years? It's um, a good question. I suppose it's not—it's new, but it's not that new. Like I said, I've been training since 2006, and I'm not the the first wave. I'm probably maybe third wave, if even. Um, so I in five years, what you'd like to see is, uh, for me anyway, a lot more cooperation between the clubs, um, a lot more cross training between clubs. I think at the moment uh, we're still emerging from this idea of it, of like the Irish Open or uh, now the the IBJJF, Irish Nationals and stuff, uh, being the biggest deal and being the be-all and end-all. But I think we should start sending competitors out to the Europeans, out to the World Championships. I think we should be uh, uh, getting to the podium uh, or winning those at some point. Um, But I think the only way to do that is uh, both more competition um, in competition itself, but also between clubs. So, like having days where you'll bring over your best competitors to each other and just let them go at it behind closed doors. Um, I think that's the best way to do it.
0: Hmm. So no, that pro- makes perfect sense because you know, I, you know, you could uh, they could be doing something completely different uh, in their gym. You know, it's good to get exposed to different styles and stuff because you know, it's great practice for competitions and stuff.
1: Hundred percent. Iron sharpens iron.
0: Hmm. The uh, Aaron Boyle uh, 8 asks, where do you see the club in five years? Like, do you plan on making any changes or anything in the near future? Um,
1: In five years, what I'd like to see with compound martial arts is uh, obviously a lot of senior grades. Like we have two purple belts um, in the club at the moment, Uh, two recent purple belts, Bly McCormick and uh, Alexander Yankov. Uh, Alexander actually uh, was only promoted to purple belt there uh, in a park last week. (laughs) We went went for a run. Uh, So uh, we gave him his purple belt then. Um, He missed his grading in December uh, where he he would have got it along with Bly. But um, uh, he had said he wanted to do the Europeans at Blue Belt. He'd never competed at that level um, before. So I said, right, you know, fair enough. I I just decided I'd hold off until then. But now that that's canceled, They said, no, we're not holding off at all. Because uh, he's borderline on the, he's borderline for me. He's not, I mean, he hasn't competed, like I said, that much um, at blue belt. And he hasn't been at blue belt for that long. But um, I think he's he's purple belt level, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have given it to him. Uh, and I'm a big believer that once somebody in the colored belts hits a certain level, they just should be promoted. I don't see the point in hanging around at a colored belt level, um, which is a, a different topic entirely, I suppose.
0: Mm. Uh, the same fella asks, "What, in your opinion, has been the worst case of uh, someone sandbagging that you've seen?"
1: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> ever seen
0: like a same dude? Same dude asks it.
1: That's 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 a setup if ever there was one. Uh, so that is the topic I was just talking about. I no, I don't know worst case of sandbagging. I, I couldn't say um, off the top of my head. I've seen a few. Uh, I'm a. The problem with uh, jujitsu is at the higher level of europeans and worlds uh, everybody's sandbagging right so yeah. you're not sandbagging you're not going there to win uh, so the problem if you're a coach and you make that decision then fair enough um i personally i can hold my hand to my heart and say that i've never felt like i've had i've sandbagged a uh, a member or a student of mine um but will i will i in the future i don't know I think the reason it's a problem is because there is a Europeans and a world for colored belts. Um, this is probably a bit controversial, but uh, my opinion is that's pointless. I don't see why there should be a blue belt world champion. Um, I can understand the arguments uh, to help develop the sport and get guys, you know, but I don't see the point in a blue belt world champion. I think there should be black belt world champions and that's it. Um, mm. End of story. I think that, have they got white belt world champions now? Did I,
0: I, I, I think, so. I, I think so. Yeah, they did. No. I think so.
1: Come on. What are we doing here? <laughs>
0: uh, well, like, uh, congratulations. You're the best white belt in the world. Good for you.
1: <laughs> and look, they might be the best black belt in the world. That could be some NCAA wrestler that just figures it out. You know, doesn't engage in the actual jiu a bit of it. And is just working on his takedowns nonstop. Just double-legged lads, get two points, back up, we go, you know, um, but for me personally, I think that's the, the source of the problem. Um, I think if you have those big accolades of coloured belts, it encourages people to hang around with that belt. And then that tr- trickles down. So let's say you take an Irish scene, for example, if you have a blue belt that wins uh, the Irish Open, if that guy's turning up still as a blue belt the next year, I don't think that's I don't think that's right um mm-hmm. I, i'm not saying he shouldn't still be a blue belt maybe he won it early into his blue belt years and now he's competing in the europeans of the worlds etc fine but uh, i think a coach should probably go Ugh. you know on a national stage i'm probably sandbagging this guy clearly so i'll just hold him back and he won't compete in the uh in the national tournaments but that's just my opinion i'm sure i mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm completely wrong and i'm sure there's uh clubs out there that have European and world-level uh, competitors that are that are doing it different. And, you know, you can't argue with results. So, uh, it's just something that... It's never sat right with me, um, mm. sandbagging. Uh, it's a real problem for me. I really don't like it. <laughs> uh,
0: see, you know, one thing I'm, uh, I'm curious about, like, uh, I asked this, like, in a poll on a bunch of the Irish jiu-jitsu pages. Like, uh, say say you do have one of these Blue Belt World Champions or something. Like, say someone, a Blue Belt wins, gets gold at these one of these prestigious events. Do you think they should, like automatically get promoted because like if you're the best blue belt in the world should you not get your proper belts like
1: so no um is the short answer and the reason is because i think for the belts like i said earlier on when i was talking about having a, a syllabus i don't think it's just about raw ability a belt is just a piece of cloth that you wrap around your waist you know what i mean and that's something i've learned over the years like i would have been more into belts years ago and um, it would have meant more but I, we didn't even have a conversation about being a black belt until I was well into purple belt. It didn't even occur to me that I oh I might be a black belt at some stage because um, my coach was a purple belt. Andy Ryan was a purple belt when I started training with him um, like a third degree or fourth degree black belt in judo, mind you. But he was a purple belt in jujitsu. So uh, it just seemed so far away, it seemed so out of touch. But I think the problem now is it's that when guys are competing uh, and they're only competing. They're losing some of the other side of the martial arts um, where it's about, you know, what are you doing for your team? Are you helping out your team? Are you being respectful? Are you improving as a human being? These are all things that I think uh, should come into a coach's mind when they're thinking about uh, promoting someone. It's not just about their, their ability. Thank God, if it was just about ability, I wouldn't be a black belt. Uh, but it's, it's um, not just about ability. I think it has to be about the character of the person as well, especially in the higher grades. When you're talking about brown and black belt, I think that has to be a major uh, a major part of it. Um, but yeah, that's why I think the solution is just to not have Europeans and worlds and Pan Ams for colored belts. because then the race should be to get the black belt as quickly as you can so that you can compete in the world and in the Europeans and in the Pan Ams, if that makes sense. Um, You hear about guys not even that long ago, Kyle Terra, BJ Penn, lads who are getting their black belt in four years uh, and are then immediately going on to compete at the highest level uh, of jiu-jitsu. I reckon today that you would have guys coming in at a similar-ish age. They're coming into jiu-jitsu. They are just as talented, if not more talented. And I don't think you'll see them at black belt in that time because I think their coaches will be busy holding them back to rack up below the world championships at blue and purple and brown. And, you know, um, I'd say if they're that good, if they're a black belt level and you feel like they're good people and they're, you know, good character, make them a black belt and then cut them loose and see what they can do. Uh, I just don't understand why someone is trying to rack up um, championships and world championships uh, at the colored belt levels. Why it's so important? Because um, it's it's like even if you win it, like if you become the blue belt world champion, you're basically going, I am the blue belt world champion. I am the best in the world, apart from that guy and that guy and that guy. <laughs> and that's the purple belt, the brown belt, and the black belt world champion, and probably Plus, the belt, that's only at your at at silver, that particular weight yeah exactly and probably the guys who took silver and bronze and maybe the guys who missed out on the podium and the belt level above you would have smashed you as well i just don't get it um i think i, I think color belt competition should be part of your development to reach what is the end goal which is a black belt um so why would you have a, a, a like why would you have a world championships for that uh, it just doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me uh, i think yeah, that's I... the problem of sandbagging
0: no, that's pretty, pretty reasonable, in my opinion. Like, you know, I wouldn't mind doing worlds or anything, but, you know, some people just don't feel that way.
1: So, yeah, yeah. experience. But why not make it open? Any belt? You know, do you know what I mean? Because you can still do it then, even if you're not a black belt. Let's say you're you a shit hop brown belt. There's some of them out there. I know some brown belts that are murderers uh, and are above black belt level. Uh, in terms of jiu-jitsu and for whatever reason and I I can think of a few offhand uh, I won't name them just because I don't know what their situation is but I can think of a few offhand even in the Irish scene that are brown belts that are easily black belt level right Um, so why not let them compete against black belts that's what we used to do in the Irish submission grappling league I remember at one point we had three black belts uh, competing at the one time which was at the time I don't think there'd ever been a tournament before in Ireland where there was three black belts competing Again, I might be wrong with that, but I'd certainly never seen it. Um, So we had George Santos. We had um, um, – what's his name? Oh, God. We had had a chap who now lives in Portugal anyway. (laughs) um, We had uh, Marius Domisat as well. So three black belts all competing in the same tournament. Uh, On top of that, we also had uh, Miha Perhavik, who is a brown belt still somehow. Um, and Miha is a murderer, like a judo, um, excellent judo player, um, superb jiu-jitsu. He's out there with Keenan Cornelius now. I think he does all the marketing and stuff for Keenan with his website and with his uh, with his um, his uh, academy. Uh, but like, he's a good example. Throw him into the Black Belt World Championships. And I'm not saying he's going to win the thing, but he's going to be competitive. He's going to give Black mm. Belt a hard time. So in a World Championship level, why not just make it open belt? So that if you do have a guy who is a brown belt and for whatever reason hasn't got his black, he can still compete at the highest level. And, you know, if you're going to be a world champion, be a world champion, not a division world champion.
0: Yeah, I get you. See, we got a bit of a two-parter question here by Owen ER. (laughs) He's one of the guys from your gym that I fought. Great dude.
1: Yeah, he said to say hi, actually. Um, Yeah. Well, he could have said hi in his question. What the hell? There you go.
0: (laughs) Okay, uh, what's it? Uh, Yeah, I have two questions for us. Who is the most overrated BGJ player of all time, and why is it Hickson?
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah, Uh, me and Owen have a consistent argument about Hickson Gracie. That's been going on for a couple of years now. Um, Most overrated BGJ player of all time? I'd say it's you, Owen, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> certainly the most the, the most overrated quiz champion of all time uh he won our first quiz during lockdown now and i wiped the floor with his quiz uh, last weekend uh took the just eat voucher for myself and enjoyed every bit of it oh, <laughs> well his, does he uh, think
0: he's a quiz world champion well you're blue belt quiz world champion
1: i, I don't know i don't th- i don't think he i don't think he holds himself in that high regard in terms of quizzes you know but uh all I'm saying is, within our team, we're the two sharks. We're the two bulls that are just circling each other now at the moment. You know, just every, everyone's waiting for the main event. We're like John Jones and uh, and uh, inganu You know, people are just going, "Oh man, I can't wait to see these guys lock horns." But the problem is, I think we'll keep winning alternate competitions, and whoever wins the uh, quiz sets the quiz the next week, so they can't take part. So um, it'll be Ooh. interesting. Someone else needs to come into the mix now just to make that yeah. matchup happen.
0: Yeah, perhaps you should do a shake-up, maybe uh, throw the quiz someone else's way, then they would be like, oh, God, it's a fucking upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so guys, we've reached a segment of the podcast I like to call Around the Specifics. It's just a bunch of random questions, some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, Oshin, do you want to do a round the Specifics?
1: Yeah, let's go for it.
0: Perfect. Uh, what was your favourite TV show growing up?
1: Um... Favorite TV show, Pfft. Mask.
0: What was Mask about?
1: Mask was basically um, kind of like a combination of Transformers, and uh, it was uh, everyone had cars, but the cars were badass. They all had ejector seats and missiles and all that kind of stuff. It was either Mask or the other one that was great was um, uh, oh God, what was his name? The Space Ranger. Oh, it's gonna drive me mad, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll come back to you with that one
0: uh it, it, speed of like... the
1: puma strength of a bear eyes of the hawk were his three uh powers uh oh that's going to drive me nuts now for the rest of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> it oh, of i hope it, drives,
0: hope it drives you crazy for the rest of your life
1: yeah yeah could do
0: <laughs> okay uh what was the first video game console you had or what was your favorite game on it
1: uh first video game console i had was the n64 i was late to the whole video game console thing um i had to buy my own so. <laughs> um so yeah uh n64 um first game i had i think was zelda ocarina of time uh which is an absolute classic it was either that or golden eye i can't remember um but either way i couldn't go wrong with either
0: Mm, i actually i got an n64 a couple years back i have a about uh, 10 or so games on it it's a pretty good i like mortal kombat trilogy on it i love that game
1: i just like the actual controller i thought the controller was probably the best controller ever made
0: for, oh, uh, I, I hate the fucking controller. It's just lopsided, and there's like no correct way to hold it. It's
1: but it feels like ridiculous. a gun. When you're holding the center of it, you got that trigger dead center, and then the joystick on top. It actually feels like a gun. So if you're playing a shooting game, it, it feels a lot better than just holding the uh, the PlayStation controller, which has like the same feeling on both sides. It's got a trigger. Anything with a trigger is good.
0: Hmm. Uh, I can see I can see the argument for it, but like uh,
1: there's no argument. just. <laughs> I disagree it's just okay
0: well, right. well we'll fight about it one day <laughs>
1: <laughs> no worries
0: yeah okay yeah uh, what's uh, the worst movie you've ever seen
1: worst movie um that is a that is a really tough one there's a lot of great contenders uh for the worst movie i've ever seen Um, possibly recently uh star wars the last jedi was almost as bad as its predecessor um, I almost got out and walked out it was just because it was with family is the only reason I didn't um, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty serious Star Wars fan uh, at least of the movies and uh, yeah they were a great disappointment and essentially ruined my childhood 20 years afterwards
0: I uh, see I sort of kind of hated uh, Rise of Skywalker more than I did The Last Jedi for some reason I thought
1: you were going to say the original trilogy for a second my, my finger was hovering over the hang up button here <laughs>
0: Uh, (laughs) no I'm not I'm not not an Egypt or anything but you know (laughs) see fair enough they tried to throw a wrench into the work by getting a different director or whatever and having a bunch of twists and killing off Snoke fine whatever but the fact that in the next movie they didn't even commit to all the changes they just reversed them all and they brought Palpatine back out of absolutely nowhere even Ian McDermott said yeah they just call me out of the blue one day uh, like a, a After episode eight, like, do you want to come back? Like, they just pulled that out of their ass. It's it's
1: stupid. (laughs) Well, that's all small change compared to the fact that they had Admiral Akbar, the original badass uh, leader of the fleet. And his uh, last moments were him being unceremoniously blown up on the the bridge. Um, And then instead of him flying a ship into the fleet, uh, into the Imperial fleet to save everyone, they had to just conjure up some purple haired um, one that literally just came out of nowhere. You've got Admiral Akbar right there, legend, and then we'll just make a totally new character to be the hero here. Uh, Mm. It just seems so pointless, the whole thing.
0: Not to mention, that pink-haired chick was a a terrible fucking commander, not telling any of her fucking fucking subordinates her fucking plan and just expecting them to believe her and blindly follow her and then getting pissy when they have a few qualms about following a clearly stupid plan. Yeah. Like, are we just going to keep going and get blown the fuck up? We, we don't want to die. This is fucking stupid.
1: That's what I you was know? saying earlier on when I was talking about uh, promotions. I like to I like to communicate with my guys, you know? I, like, I feel like she was the opposite of me. You know, I like to be as open as I possibly can be. If people have questions, I'll answer them. Uh, you know, if people want to know what they need to do to progress in their jiu-jitsu, etc., I'll answer it. If she was coaching you, if she was your black belt instructor and you went up and said, listen, I want to improve my jiu and I'm working towards my, my purple belt, what should I do? She'd probably throw you in the brick. She'd look at you and eject you into space. That'd be the end of that.
0: <laughs> or if you say, uh, uh, could you show me an escape from this uh, arm bar setup? Like, just don't get into an arm bar. She'd just say something like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I got that answer years ago from somebody. Yeah. I, I believe I asked, uh, what should I work on? Um. At some point, and the answer was jujitsu. And uh, (laughs) I remember, like to be fair, I jokingly give that um, answer a lot of the time to people, and then immediately will give the the real answer. But that was the real answer uh, when they said it to me. I remember just walking away, going, "Oh God, thanks for
0: nothing." (laughs) Okay. uh, What's the most embarrassing injury you've ever had? Would it be a a jujitsu injury or a non-jujitsu injury?
1: uh embarrassing injury uh, just
0: the way just the way you got embarrassed just the way you got injured was fucking embarrassing
1: well I, uh, I suppose it's an injury in some way it injured my my perfect record um i had never been choked out i'd never been put out um up until a year ago um so i got through 12 or 13 years or whatever it is um yeah 2006 so 13 years i got through without being choked unconscious now my secret to that was that I tapped, right? And like this is this is a, a hidden secret that many people miss out on, especially when they're training. This is a
0: revolutionary idea, no, exclusive I'm telling you.
1: to the humanity no, podcast. I be in there, I have people in dars chokes, I've got them in cross copy, you name it, right? And I'm looking at them going, It's over. It's time to tap and I can just see the life fade from their eyes because it's the world championships when you're training on the mats together, you know, on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> ridiculous. So I, I'm lucky enough that I had never been put out, um, uh, which is a miracle as well, considering some of my training partners and their love of doing that. But uh, so I was in a seminar. I was in a Rodrigo Medeiros seminar, uh, who is the head of, you know, this, the head of BJJ Revolution. Um, yeah. Worldwide. Well he was over teaching a seminar and he was teaching uh, from the back crucifix. He was teaching a wrist lock and um, he might he might have shown it down in Limerick uh, when he was over as well. I remember he was just going, kind of like, you do a wrist lock. And he goes, usually from here, you'd reach around and grab the collar and do like a a, a curry, um, uh, what do you call it, a sliding collar choke uh, in jujitsu. And uh, grab. But we're not doing that today. We're doing a wrist lock. So one of my students, uh, one of the white belts uh, in the club, great guy, um, uh, who I won't give a shout out to because of this uh, story, but uh, he decides that he wants to partner up with me. And I said, 100%, thanks a million. Sounds great. So I said oh, you go ahead, you go first. So he takes the back body or the back, um, uh, back crucifix and I feel his hand reach around the neck and he goes and grabs the collar and starts putting the sliding collar choke on. So I reach inside my own collar to give myself a tiny bit of space to turn to say, listen, that's not what we're doing. And I don't remember anything after that. All right, so he blasted the sliding collar choke onto me. Uh, I was trying to tell him, that's not the technique. And I went out cold and he continued to blast the sliding collar choke on not knowing that I was unconscious. So uh, actually, Owen McDonald, that you mentioned earlier, that you competed against, he was walking around with a camera and he walked up and saw us and he thought that I was acting. So he <laughs> takes a photo. So I have a photo of me completely unconscious, veins all the way up my forehead, uh, staring oh, no. into me, basically dead, right? The photo of me when I died. So <laughs> he takes the photo and then realizes, oh shit, he's not messing and just in. <laughs> Pulls them off blah, blah, blah. and I remember waking up and its own standing over me and a crowd of people looking in going are you all right? Jesus, man, and I remember just I I, I was a little in shock. You know that kind of way I'd never been choked really? out before and uh, Yeah, so that was funny enough So I was, I was brought to the side and revived with a little bit of water So it wasn't an injury per se, but that's probably the most embarrassing um, Like it's not it wasn't embarrassing, but it was you know the kind of way it was people <laughs> yeah. gathered around you going, "Are You okay, what i'm grand I was, I was worried because i i didn't realize that i'd been choked so i thought i'd just collapsed if that makes sense i thought i just passed out in the middle of the mat and you know people were, were worried about me it took a couple of seconds for me to remember that i'd been in a sliding collar choke and then to remember who did it to me and then to remember to find him a couple of days later on the mats and he didn't turn up for training for about three <sighs> weeks he was like <laughs> what I said, I was like, listen, I, I honey potted him completely. I went, Listen, it's no big deal. Look, don't worry about it. It's fine. You'll it's okay. Be trained You'll be no problem. Blah, blah, blah. And uh I was just waiting for him for three weeks, just waiting. Just thinking about what I was gonna do to him. No, I wasn't, not at all. no joke. But uh yeah, yeah. Fuck, you're a so,
0: fucking sadist.
1: Yeah, so uh, look. Um, you know, he tried it was, attempted murder, he tried to kill me. I was well within my rights to defend myself three weeks after the fact. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that was probably the uh, the most embarrassing one.
0: Hmm. The uh, yeah. I've I've had a bunch of close calls, but I've never been put to sleep, Renton. I'll,
1: I'll make a few phone calls down to Limerick. To fix, we can oh, fix that. That's sick!
0: <laughs> well, the first day back, fucking Fergal's just gonna ignore my taps. He's like... Uh, tap tap it's like oh no Oshin said to put you to sleep sorry dude
1: I uh, know he wouldn't do that it's funny I, I don't know Fergal particularly well despite the fact we're still, we're both in BGD Revolution somehow we haven't really crossed paths that much but his, he is so respected um, all okay. over Ireland not just in the BGD Revolution team um, he's a serious serious grappler by all, uh, by all evidence mm.
0: I've never rolled him mm. oh man it's always, it's always a good time rolling with Fergal because he has a million ways to kill you well, he just picks one and does it again and again and again then another one just to throw a bit of variety your way and that's then what's another one again.
1: you know i think i think for a lot of people starting out uh, i think that the way forward is the same as people who are experienced is to pick something and just to insist on it just make it work uh, regardless of whether the person knows and uh, it's coming or not whenever i whenever i switch towards competing myself uh, that's what i do like in the months leading up to competition I'll just work on a game. I'll just pick a certain technique, a certain guard, a certain style of guard passing, and it's all I do against everybody. And I never get bored of it, because it, eventually it starts to work all the time. And that's the fun thing about jujitsu when stuff works.
0: <laughs> mm. uh, you know what's actually kind of funny? See, uh, uh, I was talking to Fergal one time, and like, uh, it turns out he started training before I was even born. So I'm like, great. <laughs> He's been training longer than I've been alive. That's, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, the next question we have is uh that's it. If you could if you could ban one guard from competition, what would it be and why?
1: Um That's actually a great question. Uh I don't I don't think I have an answer for that. I don't think there's any guard that I would ban. Uh like years ago, fifty-fifty, I would have looked at fifty-fifty and been like, ah, what are we doing here? This is Stalin. But then lads started mm. heel hooking each other from fifty-fifty, and now it's not—it's not a game anymore, you know. Um, mm. So like, I love fifty-fifty guard now. I'll often go like backside fifty-fifty or uh, inversions off people trying to stand up in my clothes guard. Like it's my one of my favorite entries. Um, is to go K guard fifty-fifty. But I don't know. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of any guard that I would ban. Um. I, I, it is funny though. Some of them are real cheese, like Worm Guard and Squid Guard are two guards that I actually like and I play around with them, but I don't teach them. Um, I should, probably shouldn't say this on a, on a podcast, but some <laughs> um, to kind of blue belts and below. So I remember there was a competition a while ago, and one of my um, one of my blue belts now purple belt uh, just smashing everybody at blue belt, an absolute handful. Um, and I think he got to the final and the guy was competing against is very very high level um excellent great competitor etc but uh he couldn't get anything to work against them and then he started busting out um squid guard and worm guard and that is what got the job done in the end you know he they sort of had to go to these guards that were just so unfamiliar to most people um but i wouldn't ban them like i think i think they're awesome uh It's like like I, like yourself, Andrew. Is there any guard that you would ban, or did you think would be we should get rid of?
0: Uh, i don't know donkey guard because it's fucking stupid. I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, suppose so. Depends, like if you're talking about straight grappling, uh, it's stupid. Or oh, sorry, um, if you're talking about MMA, it's stupid. But if you're talking about straight grappling, yeah, maybe not. Like guys would go imanari rolls and then immediately pop into donkey guard and into a into a leg entanglement, you know. I mean, I had, obviously it's happening super fast, so it's not really donkey guard in the way that Jeff Glover would play it, but uh, I think almost everything has merit if you can make it work. Then there's no argument. Like if you're tapping people with it, or it's an entrance to tapping people or sweeping people, then fair play. Like the same can be said for um uh, for worm guard. So I like playing a bit of worm guard, and it's the mo- like obviously there's no such thing as no gee worm guard, or if there is. You know, yes, you're about it. Right. Um, but for anyone that doesn't know, worm guard, you take a lapel, um, you go De la hook, you feed it under both your leg and your opponent's. And then from there, you reach through, you free your own leg and you basically have his leg locked against um your leg. So it's like a really, really tight lapel guard variation. And mm-hmm. uh, like outside of straight sport jujitsu, you know, there's not really not really much there and like if you watch it in sports jujitsu it's not really entertaining to watch because guys are just fighting for that one grip you know and even if you know what you're looking for it's happening so fast a lot of the time the angle's wrong you can't really see it you watch Keenan Cornelius compete and next thing he pops up with this lapel uh, held in one hand and you don't know how he did it but um despite that it's effective so you can't you can't argue with it you can't be like oh we should ban that if it works mm. it works mm. Have Let's it. see like, it's just well, amazing what
0: do i so, one of my more favorite ones as the like i play a lot of lapel shit but mainly for my retention and stuff like lapel lasso and stuff mm. but one of the ones i really love is a uh, galaxy guard with and the orbit sweep because you know you could get a good entry to 50 50 or the mikey yeah. messy leg locks the way i explain it will just bastardize it so i'll just i'll just send it to you afterwards because <laughs> let, let's not even go there like my explanation of it would just be so shitty
1: is it possible for this <laughs> jujitsu podcast to be to have too much jujitsu? Is that?
0: <laughs> no, it's just the way I explain
1: it's terrible. Like,
0: well, you underhook the leg, you like get the lapel in one hand, you weave a leg up, feed under, swap the grip, and then like fucking do spin. I I can't even explain that half the time. It's such a weird movement, but I'll just yeah. send it to you afterwards. Yeah. So and that's fucking, that's uh,
1: jujitsu. Like jujitsu is an arms race. Like it's obviously the physical side of things where you want to be a bit like bigger and stronger. No matter what anyone tells you, strength is a technique in jujitsu, right? Like, it, it makes your techniques work better. Um, anyone that's world-class, uh, high-level, they're doing their strength work as well as doing their, their jiu-jitsu technique. But in terms of technique, it's an arms race. Like, if I know something that you don't know, then I have a massive advantage. And that was a much bigger deal years ago when I was coming up. Like, guys didn't know what a straight ankle lock was, if you can believe that. When I started doing it, I'd say it was a good year, year and a half before people started to defend in any way correctly um so i had a year where i was just running through tournaments with straight ankle locks uh, basically. Oh, i say that was the glory days oh this is glory days but essentially it was a cheat code it didn't mean i was good at jujitsu if that makes sense it just meant mm-hmm. that i was good at straight ankle locks um whereas now you kind of have to and even at, at lower levels of like white belt even you have to be relatively solid everywhere at blue belt you have to be good everywhere a purple belt you have to be great everywhere um and then a brown belt you have to be basically have an area of your game that is world class you need to be able to even if someone knows it's coming like think bernardo faria with his over under pass or deep half or you think marcelo garcia with his uh, underhook half guard passing or his reverse half passing even if you know it's coming you still can't stop it because the person's level is so so high at that um so that's where the game has changed where back in the day you know people could <laughs> people could very well have been crap everywhere <laughs> so it's just a different th- different time
0: hmm. Say, uh, let's see. Do you have a favorite historical period? Like, say you had a time machine, where's the first place you'd go? Um,
1: that's a good one. Um, historical period. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe ancient Egypt. Uh, kind of interested there. I would say my my specialist areas are ancient Egypt, great white sharks, and first generation Pokemon. You know. If you, <laughs> you ever have a quiz that needs out and answered there, yeah, I'd be your man. But uh, yeah, um, possibly then. I would love to go back um, to uh, maybe the f- time when Helio Gracie was really starting to come up, when Kimura was coming over to Brazil, Masahiko Kimura, just to be there, to see it, to be a part of it. Um, you know, I mean, we all would have been crap, I'd imagine. Um, so, like, You look at the, the old UFC tapes of Hoist Gracie, you know, and this is sacrilege to some, but I'm sure there's lots of guys out there now. Uh, let's just say black belts, to be, to be kind. I said there's lots of black belts out there now that if they turned up at UFC 1 with the skills they have today, history would be different.
0: Um, Dude, it's not even a question. That's, that's a fucking fact.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, so, but I still, regardless of that, I'd love to go back just to see what things were like then. You know, see the stories uh, that you hear coming out of that family and see them in real life um see them all training together i don't know i think that'll be interesting but uh no apart from that uh probably ancient egypt would be more than enough for me
0: mm. i uh let's say uh let's just say when you die you have to fucking uh convince saint peter to let you into heaven uh well not just convince you can uh, once you get past the gate you can't you can stay they can't kick you out you only wear white geese and uh See, you can either suplex him or fucking like convince him like anything's on the table. How do you get in there?
1: You pass guard, dude. After a lifetime (laughs) passing guard, you think St. Peter is going to be able to keep me out? Not a hope in hell.
0: (laughs) Well, man, I imagine St. Peter's encountered a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu guys that are way up. So do you not say he'd have a bit of uh, knowledge about him?
1: That's why I'd go to the new age stuff. I'd be lapel guard all the way. I'd probably pull Mm -hmm. half guard, uh, threaten the deep half just so he'd sort of sit his weight back. Feed the lapel around the back of the leg. Come up on that sweet lapel single leg. Unstoppable. And uh, from there, get my two points. Probably celebrate for a second too long. You know, lose the position. Probably get dumped down to hell at that point. But, you know, just at that moment, the glory alone of, of getting two against uh, Peter will be worth it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, can you do any impressions?
1: Uh, Jeez, no. No. Uh, I, I'm working on my my Portuguese at the moment, and by working on my Portuguese, I mean sounding like I'm uh, Brazilian. But yeah, uh, my but, friend,
0: what the do we impression my friend.
1: Or is, or is that like with Rodrigo? We go boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <and> boom. <laughs> Any questions?
0: <laughs> okay, we got a bit of a moral dilemma here. If you're up for it, sure. Uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger?
1: Probably solve world hunger.
0: Okay. Fair enough. My man, That's you a know, pop- it's just exactly a wood rider and maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer. So who knows this
1: is it, Exactly. Give him a chance.
0: Hmm. Let's see. Uh, in your professional opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache?
1: Uh, I tried to pull off a handlebar mustache during the lockdown, uh, and I showed it to my wife, and it was shaved off within I'd say 30 to 45 seconds of that moment. Uh, <laughs> she handed me the razor and went, "Get that off your face." That <laughs> <laughs> was the end of that. So um, I was going for I was going for a sweet Spaniard and uh, a Van Dyke. They're actually called with like the mustache on yeah. top and then the little flavor saver and then the little bit down on the chin. I rocked that. I actually, I actually, I I grew that for the first quiz we had, and it was one of the quiz questions. I just basically put the camera to my face and went, "What is the name of this hairstyle?" and gave him three or the <laughs> hairstyle, I gave him three potential options. Um, so I go deep on these quizzes. I whipped out a ukulele and started playing live music, where they had to guess what the song was. The last time as well, you know, I'm committed, all in. God damn, that's fucking cool,
0: Quizmaster uh, Oshin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh,
0: fucking what's his son? I can't read my own writing because <laughs> I, I just like I got an idea for all these questions. I just wrote them down so fucking quick. <laughs> so, uh what's the number one thing on your bucket list?
1: Number one thing on my bucket list. Uh, it's a tie at the moment. Uh, I'd love to go to Japan and uh, train. I've never I've never been to Japan. It's just somewhere that's always fascinated me. Um, I like—I I came up, obviously, before jujitsu. I came up through like karate and you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I've been doing it. I've been training judo for the last number of years as well on top of my jujitsu, just to supplement it. So I just find Japanese culture to be fascinating. So I'd love to go to Japan. I'm sure it's different now. There's a great um, documentary on uh, It's a short documentary about Doug Rogers. Um, sounds like a superhero character, but uh, Doug Rogers is a Canadian judo Olympian uh, from the 60s, I think it is. And uh, it's black and white, but they filmed him uh, training in Japan. And his coach is Masahiko Kimura, who uh, snapped Helio Gracie's arm in Brazil. He was traveling. Uh, for those who don't know the story, uh, the Gracies challenged him. Uh, I think they beat one of his Japanese counterparts. And then Kimura, who was the real big dog, he was the, the Hicks and Gracie of, uh, of um judo unless o, o. McDonald wouldn't agree with that but uh he was <laughs> he was kind of considered to be university the top dog i don't think he was ever off his feet uh, in competition so kimura came in and he wiped the floor with him um you know it was it was brought up as being a moral victory for helio but uh you can see the footage masahiko just destroyed him um, threw him over and over again and then finally got bored of throwing him inside to break his arm so uh I'd love to go back to that time. Like, that documentary, he is the coach of the college team that this lad is training with, which is this big Canadian guy. And uh, it's awesome to watch, to see the actual footage of him coaching and stuff. He only shows, it's only a tiny clip of him coaching. He's just showing an Osoto Gary, which was uh, his tro. Little uh, side note on that. Um, when he was competing in Japan for years, nobody would compete against him unless he agreed, basically made a handshake agreement to not use Osoto Gary. That's what the story <laughs> is, because he was knocking people out with it. So when he him, oh. he'd buried him so hard into the floor that uh, they, they'd knock him unconscious. So they agreed to compete, but only if he wouldn't use that throw. That might not be true, but that's the it's a cool story. So I like to tell people that one. Mm.
0: So, yeah, uh, say you became president of Earth. What's the first thing you do? Like first law you would enact?
1: Make jujitsu mandatory for all, my man. Um no, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a serious answer there. Um, it would probably be, the first rule would be that if you want to be involved in politics, you're not allowed to be involved in politics. That would be the first rule. Um, you know, immediately, if somebody wants to be the president of the world, they probably shouldn't be the president of the world. Um, I think that's just common sense. But no, uh, on, on a less serious note, I would I'd make jujitsu um, mandatory in schools. Uh, I think it's unbelievably beneficial. Um, to adults and children um, both in temperament mental health and obviously self-defense skills to people who are more chilled so I think as an easy answer especially given the, the podcast we're on I think that is probably uh, something that would be super beneficial for everyone let
0: mm. uh, see, so would you rather I can't remember if I asked this question already, uh, would you rather have super strength or super speed?
1: Um, super speed because if it was coming up against a guy who was unlucky enough to have the super strength, he'd never get his hands on me.
0: Oh, oh. amen. Ah, that's uh it's pretty. Uh, what's it?
1: That's, that's another nickname can't. I had for years. I used to work in bars, and one of the bartenders called me the Flash because I was so slow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was so slow at pouring pints when I started. He goes, "Ah, it's the Flash. That's it." <laughs> so uh, that's another, I've had a lot of nicknames over the years. A lot.
0: Uh-huh. but your new one's the bull i'm gonna make yeah, it, i'm hopefully gonna make it, it my it, i'm gonna make it my mission to make sure everyone calls you the bull
1: oh we gotta push that we gotta push that. i'm big fan of that that might be the first time i've ever heard a nickname and been like oh yeah 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 i'll I'll take that which almost means it's guaranteed not to take off if anything How people, about they,
0: they're gonna call you the cow or the foal or something <laughs> yeah
1: exactly the calf
0: <laughs> <laughs> the calf slicer
1: yeah, no, that, that, that's that, my bit. Once people start referring to me as the calf, I'm just gonna push as much as I can to to refer to as the calf slicer. What's the backstory to that? Well, you know, I got so good at calf slicers that people started calling me <laughs> the calf. That's what you have to do. You gotta rescue the situation.
0: Yeah, yeah inevitably it's gonna become just the slicer or a slicey yeah. or something.
1: Blaze, blade, blazer.
0: Blazer. <laughs> <Laser. Yeah. laughs> that was a good movie. I don't care what anyone says.
1: Oh unbelievable. Nobody yeah. says that's a bad movie. Show me one person that says it's a bad movie. I'll show you a fool.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, what's it? Do you have a spirit animal? Like, what would you say your one is?
1: Spirit animal. Probably a bull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, spirit animal. Uh, what is grumpy? Barely is able to deal with people. Gets angry easily. Likes violence. Anything that falls and into cats? that category. Cats, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really bitchy though. Uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever the uh, the phrase is that goes with cats. I don't know, spirit animal, probably, uh, probably a parrot.
0: What well, do, do you, are you on a pirate's shoulder and like say, at, at like crackers?
1: I'd be on, see, that I'd be on a pirate's shoulder, but it'd just be heckling from the background. It's kind of my favorite. Uh, You know, jujitsu is my is is obviously what people associate with me. They're like, oh, he's a jujitsu guy, but really, my passion in life is just heckling people from the background. Uh,
0: (laughs) I'd I'd say you're really popular at stand up shows.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I've never done one, uh, but a few people have been pushing me for years to give it a go. But no, the um, uh, what I love to do, and I used to always say this, we do obviously MMA shows and kickboxing shows. We have a kickboxing team within our club and an MMA team, and um. What everyone always says about us whenever we're at a show is that we're the most relaxed team they've ever seen. Um, and it can be random. We could all be laughing and just, you know, falling around the place, having a good crack. And then obviously we turn a switch when the time comes to compete. That's when things get serious. But I do my best to keep everything as light as possible. So I slag everybody. Um, and I, I save them as well for the events. So if I see someone doing something and I, know, and I could just pick the low-hanging fruit and give them shit, I won't say a word, and I'll wait until we're actually at a competition, and then I'll bring it back up. So I like to, I like to basically accumulate ammunition on people, and uh, then unload when we actually need a bit of levity or a bit of a bit of a laugh in a tense situation. So that's my that's my favorite mm-hmm. thing to do. That's, that's, I love going to shows for that reason. Um, my favorite bit of the shows is not the fights. It's the crack we have uh, in the back afterwards. Um, it's great fun.
0: So guys, we've reached the last question. Ooh, are you ready for the last question?
1: I don't know. I suppose I have to be.
0: Uh it's not like it's gonna sneak up on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you've given the game. Yeah, okay,
0: yeah. Alrighty. Uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned in all your years of uh martial arts?
1: Most important lesson um would be to enjoy the journey. Without a doubt. Uh like I, I've been up and down over the years uh, through injuries and all kinds of stuff. Like I would have been gearing up to be a serious competitor when I was in my early twenties. Then got hurt and that kind of knocked that bit away wayside. So I kind of pre- now looking back, I appreciate things way more. And that's what I was saying earlier on about if you get a chance to roll with anyone, it doesn't need to be some legend. Like if you go to, let's say, if I go to East Coast uh, for example, you know I've, I've only been out there once, but I'd, I'd love to one day go out to East Coast. And um, there's guys there competing on Polaris. I love to go out to SBG, Tullamore with Kieran Davern. Just head out and just, I would roll with everybody. Absolutely everybody. Um, like I'm talking about to help out um, my teammates and stuff. Uh, I'm planning on basically traveling around the country and doing seminars um, to either raise funds for the clubs or to raise funds for charity, for mental health, for AWARE or something like that after we come out the other end of this COVID thing. Um, but one thing I'll do if I do that is I will roll with everybody in the room, like every single person um it's something i'm always i'm always big on like take these opportunities you never know when you're not going to be able to do it when an injury pops up and suddenly you're you know you're you're on the bench for three years or something like that so just every single chance you have to train or every single chance you have to compete or every single chance you have to do a seminar or simply the role take it all right because you don't there's no do-overs you get what i mean
0: mm. no guys that was a great episode and if you want to follow us sheen on instagram it'll be at at usheen.mccabe or his his uh, team's page uh at compound martial arts it'll be in the description if you just want to copy and paste it in so usheen do you have anything to say before we shoot off
1: yeah no uh, thanks a lot for having me i really appreciate it andrew like the format you have here with the podcast it's good fun and uh fingers crossed it didn't offend anyone too badly um when i'm on it i'm <laughs> uh, sure uh,
0: they're just sore that they can't uh Strangle people as well as you can so this, screw
1: is, it. this is it everyone's getting offended so easy it. Is. but no but um thanks a million for having me I really appreciate it and uh fingers crossed now as a community um for jiu-jitsu we come out the other end of this even stronger um support your clubs out there guys in whatever way um that makes sense for you uh, especially when they reopen and um yeah uh, apart from that just spread the good word of jiu-jitsu uh, and that's the most important thing i always tell people like especially if someone has been doing jujitsu for like a year or two years, I'll ask them like, like, are you happy that you did this? Are you happy you spent the last two years doing jiu-jitsu? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like it's the best thing I've ever done. And you get all these great responses. And then I'll say to them, why not just give that as a gift to your friend or your sibling or your, you know, partner or whatever the case may be. And um, just get people involved, get them training. And um, like this sport should, in my opinion, should kick on over the years to become one of the biggest sports in Ireland. Certainly one of the biggest sports in the world. Uh, so just spread the word
0: Hmm. so guys thanks for listening hope you enjoy hope everything's good so adios